final Watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuds. And today I am joined by my good friend, James Thompson, otherwise known as the Black Badger, calling in all the way from Gothenburg in Sweden. How are you doing, James? I'm not doing too bad, man. How's by you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm in England, would you believe? We're uh, communicating across the waters. What are you doing in England? Well, I have a house here um, and a family. No, not not like a wife and child. <laughs> I mean, like a, I mean, my family, like my 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 mother and my brother and sister and nephew and so on. So yeah, I'm I'm just visiting and I'm here to actually do some gardening in between recording the best podcast in the world, the best podcast with the worst audio. I can't picture you having an actual physical human family. I just assumed you were like a, a pine cone that fell into some magic water or something. That's possibly going to be my new LinkedIn bio, pine cone that fell into magic water. <laughs> <laughs> That's phenomenal. Uh, no, I have a real family. Uh, most of my family are um, mostly human. Yeah. Uh, my mom is pretty straight up regular homo sapien. Um, my dad's less so, but, you know, close enough. And now the rest of them, cool, cool, sort of somewhere between pine cones and regular folk. Yeah, what's your family like? I come from a long line of mammals. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You look like it. <laughs> the dumbest podcast already. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm only as good as my guests. So in this uh, in this Ouch. instance, we're, we're cruising for a one star review. I'm sure. So Alon is not present today. He's managed to skip out of this. Fresh nonsense. Uh, James, you are in the Badger Den as we speak. It is a fantastic place full of crazy contraptions and uh, also <laughs> slightly less than 10 fingers today. Would you like to tell the audience what happened just before you came on it? Yeah, I, I, I decided I'd rather spend a chunk of the morning bleeding. <laughs> That's what all the hip kids are doing these days. No, I was actually working on some of the uh, world-famous four-day dials for the, for the Arcanaut series. And for some reason, the piece that I was working on decided to fly across the room at 100 miles an hour. And the tips of my two fingers went directly into the giant disc sander. Mm. And I don't know what kind of Jackie Chan reflexes I have, but one of my fingers got a little chewed. The other one is absolutely just not even a mark on it. Crazy. And I actually stood there staring at my finger for like five seconds, like just waiting for it to just start pouring all down my arm. Just to drop off. Just to yeah. fall off or like <laughs> something. But the other one, it, it, it hurts like stink. And it's, it's I, I made a point of putting uh, Hello Kitty Band-Aids on it just as a bit of a, a bit of an FU to myself from myself. <laughs> I kind of like the Hello Kitty Band-Aids. You know, when I was a kid, whenever I had a, scrape i had to have a regular plaster you know a sort of flesh colored fabric plaster and i was always a bit allergic to the adhesive of plasters so like it wasn't a very pleasant experience and i oh, desperately yeah, yeah. desired the cartoon plasters that my friends my slightly more moneyed friends would have whenever they cut their knee which always seemed to be like a moment for celebration because they'd fall over and then they'd be like yes i get to have a winnie the pooh plaster or something like that and i thought it was the coolest thing ever so now as an adult I bought some plasters recently because I occasionally cut myself, as people do, <laughs> like you do. And I got the I, I got the cartoon ones for myself. And I'm 37 now, and uh, a, a rather hirsute gentleman with a, a, a full beard, which is a funny combo when you are wearing like uh, what was it? Not the snorks. Um, oh, little cartoon owl plasters I had like on on Decent. my finger. Decent. Yeah, it was it was class. It was class. F funnily enough, I managed to slice my finger up. Um, about a week before Watchers and Wonders. So I had to go there wearing these plasters, like have every meeting wearing these stupid plasters <laughs> on my hands. And it's not a good look. It's not, it's not nice. So I feel for you. I'm sorry that that happened to you today, but look, our audience probably know who you are. They probably know you as the black badger, but for anybody that doesn't, will you please give us the James Thompson black badger bio in, well, actually you can take as long as you want over it, but try and stay on topic. If you don't mind James and the topic is you. Go. Oh, good Lord. I'm James. Hey, you know, nice to meet you. I think, I think getting a Canadian to really open up and spend 20 minutes talking about their accomplishments is, you know, it's like getting an Irishman to talk about their feelings. It, it's just not gonna, this is not gonna happen. <laughs> did my girlfriend tell you to say that? Cause that is, uh, <laughs> she did. She did. Funny. She says hi. Um, Fucking hell. no, I've been, I've been uh, working in the watch industry off and on since, uh, about 2014 or so. Almost, almost always working as like a guest star. 
sort of working as like a guest designer or doing special editions within different established brands. Going back to a, a good friend of yours, a good friend of mine also, uh, Giles at, uh, at Schofield Watch Company was the first kind of big project that I'd worked on. And that, uh, yeah, led led to a whole bunch of things. I, I would love to get into an interview without having to name drop MBNF or Max, but let's be honest, he uh, he telephones and screams at me if I don't, so... I mean, it's a name. It's a name that needs to be dropped. It's a fantastic achievement. It's a name that needs to be dropped, and it feels like I'm riding on somebody else's coattails. But uh, but that isn't true. You did the work. You made one of the most stunning MBNFs that's ever existed, and you have received the just plaudits for that for the years in the years that have followed. So I know it's difficult for you to say how great you are and all the things that you've done, but just pretend you're talking about somebody else for the sake of the listeners so they can get a feel like uh, you're a very humble man and it's a rare thing in watchmaking to come across somebody that literally finds it difficult to speak about the many achievements of your career but come on man for the sake for the sake of my podcast do it just do it all right i'll roll up my sleeves here okay good man <clears throat> mbnf debatoon sarpaneva schofield watches now on to uh, my own brand that i'm a co-owner of with the awesomely handsome Anders Brandt out of Denmark, Arcanaut watches. Uh, we'll get we'll get more on that in a bit, but also still continually working on on my own Black Badger branded collaboration projects. And there's a whole whole pile of those on the go currently. And in fact, there's so many that actually uh, primarily my bread and butter, so to speak, was I work as a jewelry designer, and it's all these carbon fiber and titanium and superconductor and all the superluminova, all these advanced materials. Um, actually, it was my work with the rings is what got the attention of the watch brands in the first place. And now it's kind of gone full circle where the rings are being inspired by the watches and vice versa. But I've actually hit the pause button on taking orders for rings for the first time in 15 years. I'm, I'm just not doing any of them because there's just not enough hours in the day. Um, there's so much work for the various watch design projects. And I probably... <laughs> Probably to the detriment of the project, I really like being physically involved in things. I've never mm -hmm. wanted to just knock up a CAD file and send it out for quotes, um, which is why I managed to almost cut my fucking finger off this morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I got into the machine shop side of things because I can't sketch to save my life. Um, and actually being a bit of a shop guy comparatively in the watch industry, I think is really quite beneficial because you need to know what things can and can't do as compared to just dream one of the most interesting things you ever said to me um uh -oh. regarding your inability to sketch was that you you sketched in the material you drew in 3d you created a physical model of the thing you had in your mind that you couldn't put down on paper via a pen yeah really poetic way of putting it so to summarize for anyone that didn't manage to pick out exactly what james's specialization is in that open <laughs> he is a master of materials and he has worked with many famous brands even more than the ones you listed i'm sure you left a couple off there I'm sure there's a recent one you didn't mention but i don't know whether that's for contractual reasons or not i won't say a damn thing but look easy there tiger <laughs> <laughs> He has turned his incredible talent to bring crazy things to life with experimental materials towards these watches. And now, as you alluded, you have taken those talents and you have tied them all up with the Danish brand Arkanaut, which is, yes, headed up by our beautiful mutual friend, Anders Brandt, who will be on this podcast at some point himself when we can... That guy's man pretty. He's, he's, man he's pretty. Yeah, he's got eyebrows to die for. Like, if you think the diamond sander that James just chopped his finger off with is sharp, you should see Anders' eyebrows. You know what it is? He's got... What, what is that? He's got muscles in his eyebrows. Yeah, what is that all about? It's like this Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. Like, when he, he scowls, his entire head kind of flexes, and it's like he could open a beer between his eyes or something. We should try that. We should try that, and I'm sure he'd be up for letting us try it too. We'll do that at Red Bar Copenhagen. We'll have people open up beers with Anders' eyebrows. All right, so this episode is going to air after we've <laughs> already been to Red Bar Copenhagen, and it's going to air after you've heard what happened to us at Red Bar Copenhagen, because I'm going to yep. be doing a roving reporter stint 
on the on the ground. You know, I'm going to bring all my audio equipment and I'm going to speak, or I will have spoken, as far as our listeners are concerned, to the members of Red Bar Copenhagen. And that is exciting. It's exciting. It's nice to be on the ground talking to our wonderful fans, our beautiful fans. Do you speak Danish? Do I speak Danish? <laughs> no, of course not. Man, that's a tough one. Who speaks Danish? The da- I mean, the Danes and then I don't know, no like one else. Six people in Greenland that speak it, I think, but... Oh, yeah, I forgot about Greenland. That is massive. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just insulting the whole world now. Um, no, it's going to be really nice. Um, Red, Bar, uh, Red Bar Copenhagen is going to be fantastic, but we'll get to that later. Materials. Sorry. Yeah, s- sketching within the material, I've always had this a real vibe of kind of honesty of materials. And I think a lot of it just comes from sort of my own interests. But, like, I've never really understood somebody designs a chair, and then you need to go out and figure out what the chair is going to be made from, whether that's a good way of designing or not. It's just nothing that's really held any great fascination for me. I tend to like finding out what a given material can do and then find some new and interesting application for it. So a lot of the materials that I'm working with, especially in a more sort of uh, composites and alloys and all this neat stuff, like a lot of that came from aerospace or biotech, you know, the hip implants and all this kind of weird stuff. So I tend to actually use Black Badger almost as a bit of a materials orphanage. Because I think if you have to go design the material from the ground up, it's a little reckless sometimes. A lot of the stuff already exists. It'll just exist in a weird industry. Like a lot of these fantastic alloys that a lot of the watch brands are using, gold ceramic alloys and all this sort of Tony Stark stuff. You know, like a lot of that came about from like ceramic coatings for uh, prosthetic or like uh, hip replacement surgeries and all this kind of thing, or some stuff came from the dental industry. And that's like, if it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, everybody would say, oh, this alloy, this is what they used on the space shuttle. You know, this is what, and now it's more, oh, this is what my, my dad's replacement hip was made from or something that seems to be a much more (laughs) much more innovative field these days so would you say that a lot of the materials that you've worked with and perhaps had some of your greatest successes with are regarded by other industries as scrap or you know not as valuable as the things you are able to there after create with them well absolutely absolutely i mean i think it would be a a bit of a pretentious stretch if i tried to call some of them recycling because that, that, that would kind of be, you know, dickish greenwashing. But like Fordite, for instance, which is now making up so much of my work with Arcanaut, but I've been doing that uh, in my uh, jewelry design for several years now. It's just old paint. It's, it's the paint that built up on the industrial work surfaces and car factories. So after you've painted hundreds or even thousands of cars, from the sort of 1970s to 1990s era, it was a much more manual process. There was a dude standing there spraying all this stuff on, and then it went through the ovens, and et cetera, et cetera. But the mounting hardware that the doors or the, the body panels got mounted onto, the, the mounting hardware got all the overspray and all the spillage and all that stuff on it. So everything kind of grew and grew and grew over time until something that's like the size, like a bolt would suddenly be the size of an apple. And when you would break it off because you, it gets in the way, some smart person cut it in half and realized you've got thousands of layers of just fantastic car paint in it. And I, I actually talked to a guy who said his first job was at a Ford factory when he was about 16, you know, probably in the early 1970s. And his job was to crawl along the floor with a hammer and a screwdriver and bang off all these, what people call Fordite paint formations off the bottom of the assembly line because it gets in the way of the machinery and they would just throw it in the garbage. And he's like, I've probably thrown out 15 or 20 tons of this stuff over the time that I was working there. Whereas now, because it's quite rare and car painting is a much cleaner, more efficient process, there's a finite supply of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And now the paints are a lot more environmentally friendly. They're water-based. So that just means they tend to be softer. And because the car paint from the seventies and nineties had so many solvents and so much crap in it, and has gone through this oven several hundred times. It's like a rock. Mm-hmm. So what it means is there's there's no more of it. Some people try and kind of replicate it and make their own new stuff, but it's just, you just can't fake time. 
Oh my god, you not you did not just say that. I'm gonna take my mic off and do a victory lap in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna chop that up and drop it into like an, an ad an ad bit for uh for our show. You can't fake time. It just sounds like one of those really pretentious like Hugo Boss colognes, you know, with like Chris Hemsworth walking along like Wall Street or something. You can't fake time. Yeah, who knew that you had that kind of talent locked away in there as well? But even but even like materials that people make such a big deal of in other aspects of life um, that aren't really desirable in the watch industry. Like uh, Anders and I were in New York last week for the Wind Up Watch Fair. And it's my first time in New York. And we're walking along like Lexington Avenue and you see the Chrysler building up there. It's steel, it's glass, it's concrete, nothing really sexy or exotic. But when you stand there looking at it, it's the most beautiful fucking thing on the planet. So why why are materials desired for that? But if you just get a stainless steel watch, it's maybe not as ooh-la-la as something made of some ridiculous alloy that really serves no purpose. I know I'm. I know I. I know I'm talking myself into a corner, but <laughs> that was your first time in New York. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Which part of Canada are you from? Vancouver. Vancouver. Oh right, yeah, fair enough. But I lived in Toronto, you know, several times. I was born in Ottawa. I lived all over the place. You lived in Toronto, and you never went to New York. I mean, I was like eight when I lived there, or something, but. Oh right, okay, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Hitting up the bars in Brooklyn, you know, picking up waitresses. That's that's Anders' job. That's not an, yours. That's Anders' job. Yeah, so it, it 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 was really fun. Even just like the stuff that I was getting the most excited about was like the the bridge foundations of the Brooklyn Bridge and like the 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 brickwork and the the General Electric building and all this. I mean, just spectacular. Um, and they're they're humble materials, but everything's very honestly presented. And this is something that I really kind of vibe with. Um, why would you make something out of beautiful hardwood and then paint it red? You know, why would you make a bicycle frame out of beautiful carbon fiber and then paint it green? It, it just seems like a waste. So that's my vibe. Whether other people like that. The honesty of materials, letting the material character shine through is, I guess, what you dedicate most of your time to is is taking those materials and giving them sure. a polish in so that they appear in the best possible light for themselves. Yeah, I mean elevating elevating humble materials through changing the context is for me a lot more entertaining than just putting, you know, 50 grand worth of diamonds on it, which, you know, has its time and place, but I'm I'm not the guy to do that. Nobody's ever going to ask me to do that. Instead, I'm the guy that made a watch out of coffee yeah how was that how hard was it to actually make coffee into a millable material uh not easy not easy not it smelled great um oh that's something i guess yeah no but that 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 way of working there's always this fine line between uh this honesty of materials i i work a lot with the storytelling aspect of materials the context of materials i really i personally enjoy that kind of work. So I tend to just put much more emphasis on it, but it's, it's such a fine line because as soon as you start to overdo that, it just becomes corny. You know, I mean, certain watch brands that either tell stories that aren't really theirs to tell, or they other ones get way too heavy handed on the, on the prodigy of their materials that it's almost becomes like, you know, Oh, we made a watch out of a, dead person's famous, you know, foot or something, or, you know, like a piece of a race car that someone died in. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's grim, man. It's easy. It's lazy. I think that's what really kind of bugs me, you know, like making a watch out of the hull of a Titanic or something. Like I would rather just buy a chunk of the Titanic and not have to faff around with making a watch out of it. Mm, yeah i see what you mean yeah absolutely so what was it about the arcanaut brand that appealed to you so much and why did you decide to get on board as a co-owner because they're just a pack of geeks <laughs> and i just i just felt right at home man um i met them at, at salon qp in london uh I'm trying to think what year about 2017 i think it was the year i was exhibiting there actually and um yeah at, at the time it, this was before they were called Arcanut. They had a little fledgling brand called um, 
Goldman Brandt. Which is like the world's greatest law company. Uh, that's exactly what I said. I'm like, are you guys accountants or, you know, yeah. the accounting firm of Goldman Brandt? Oh, God. Yeah. And they had a cool prototype. And, you know, they were sort of f- fresh off the books, so to speak. Like nobody had any idea what they were doing. And that's what made it cool. There wasn't this polish. It was a real, it was a real honest startup. Um, I think what I get really cynical about, especially because I work so much with independent watchmaking, is there's a lot of these really sort of indie street level, cooler than cool startups. And you really buy into it. And then you start looking at the people on like, you know, LinkedIn or something. You're like, oh, okay, that guy was a managing director for fucking Gucci for 20 years or something. I'm like, and then it, then it just gets to be, I don't know if fake is the right word, but it's like, it's like you're sort of paying extra to sort of get to pretend to be a bit of a, a bit of a broke student, roughneck dirtbag kind of thing. And roughneck dirtbag is exactly the kind of vibe that Anders gave off when he approached you, right? <laughs> he totally did. He totally did. No, they were just a, a couple, a couple of really well-spoken, well-presented, you know, just, just young guys. And, and we, and we just sort of stood there talking in my, it was the year of the, the black badger loom room. Uh, so I got to hang out with giant UV spotlights over my head for four nights and nice. came home from rainy London with actually a nice sunburn. Thanks to that. Amazing. Yeah. And we looked at their first prototype and had a bunch of ideas and it was, you know, we, we didn't really get anywhere with it. And then about a year after that came the arc one and Anders had invited me in just to kind of like really sort of basic kind of consulting on, on the loom aspect of the watch because this glow in the dark, the photoluminescent material is all is probably my biggest thing that I work with in in watches. Um, so j- just did a bunch of quite buddy level advising and consulting on it, and it went very very well. Then when it came time for the Arc Two follow up piece, um, what we didn't really want to do was have every Arc and not watch be a black badger edition or guest starring james or this kind of because then it just you just start to sound like you're a company that doesn't have any footing of its own like it it, it just sounded kind of amateurish so instead they actually invited me on as a as a part owner so that was about a year and a half ago and uh and, and we're just doing wicked crazy stuff it's it's so much fun because i don't feel like I need to kind of adapt my ideas as much as I do in other projects because, you know, it, say if it's a Debatoon or an MBNF or like one of these very, very well-known, very established brands, they might say, we want you to go crazy. We want blue sky theory. But at the end of the day, if there's going to be an MBNF logo on the watch, don't cock it up. You know, you really have to sort of respect the work that this brand has already done. Whereas, whereas with Arcanaut, I mean, we use the expression that we're like an orological food truck. We don't have wealthy Geneva backers. We don't have a Maison. We don't have 200 years of experience in the mountains outside of Geneva, whatever. We're the other side of the spectrum. And that's cool because there, I, I do think there is room for everybody. Um, and we're having a hell of a good time and we're making a lot of noise and we're probably pissing some people off, but that's part of the fun. I've not heard any negative feedback regarding Arcanaut at all. I don't think you're pissing no. anybody <laughs> off. I've, um, I mean, obviously everybody I speak to about you has something negative to say about your character and, you know, hygiene, but um, right. <laughs> uh, how, how is the response? <laughs> Sorry, uh, how was the response? How was the response? You filthy Canadian! How was um, how was the response in New York with the people? Because the people seem to be what's really driving Arcanaut forward. It's very much a community brand, an enthusiast brand. It's the kind of thing that you yeah. buy when you really know about watches. You know what makes a good brand. Who tells a good story? It's the anti Rolex in a way. So, what were the guys like Ooh. that you spoke to there? The anti shots fired. The anti Rolex. I like that. Pow pow. <laughs> pew pew. It was, it was one of the most unexpected gifts I think that I've ever had. Was actually getting to go there and see people because even with my own Black Badger work, it's all online. You know, I I almost never get to physically hand somebody you know their wedding ring and have them go woo. 
Um, and really not since, not since like 2017 or whenever it was at Basel, when we presented the, the MBNF HMX Black Badger, I obviously got to sit there, you know, spend the week on the MBNF booth and give 120 interviews alongside Max and Harris and all these, you know, sort of awesome guys. And you actually got to see people's reaction when you pulled the watch out and you made it glow and all this kind of stuff. That was extremely rewarding for a socially needy person, I guess. <laughs> but And then, you know, I mean, Arcanaut's a product of, of COVID, right? I mean, you know, we've been doing this for about two years. So this was the first time that we actually got to go out and physically see people and not just be doing it all through Instagram or through endless WhatsApp chat groups and all that kind of stuff. So it, it was, it was kick-ass. I really liked it. Uh, th- this was the first time that I've actually been able to physically hand somebody one of the watches they've ordered. So Anderson, and I actually got to present uh, serial number one of the, of the arc two Fordite series uh, to an, an awesome guy in New York named Nate Cho. Oh, I love Nate. You know, Nate, yeah, I mean, I know him through Instagram. I've never met him before, but Nate's he's been a big supporter. Been a big supporter of a lot of the projects I did for Fratello, and uh, love the guy. Yeah, really cool dude. I'm very jealous you got to meet him in real life. Yeah, hell of a nice guy. And our sort of super fancy Arcanaut We're a Professional Watch Brand event was we went to a nearby bar and had a bucket of Negronis and gave him his watch, and then that was it. Was great. I mean, compare that to. I wouldn't be cynical, but, you know, like certain brands that just flew every journalist on the planet to Sicily this weekend for some gazillion dollar enchanté fest. You know, obviously there's not going to be a lot of negative things said about that watch. Whereas with this, it was just giving it to the actual person, the person that put down their credit card, you know, and the person that's going to wear that watch. So it was really, really nice. And Anderson, and I got to hand it to him and say, what do you think? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Is there anything you'd change? And just kind of have this dialogue. Did he have any feedback for you? Said it sucks. Said it's a complete turd. <laughs> Biggest <laughs> waste of money ever. <laughs> Piece of crap. He was really, really jazzed about it. And actually, I got a couple of comments from... Hang on. For anyone that's not Canadian, jazzed is a good thing. Oh, is it? Is that a common term? I mean, not really in general parlance. I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's okay. the first word in the dictionary for Europeans learning to speak English. But It's yeah. the dog's bollocks, in it. <laughs> All right, Governor, carry on. <laughs> tin, tin, tin. Um, <laughs> so that was, that, the hell was I talking about? That was really, really rewarding. I actually be able to give it to him. And then the next day, um, when we rocked up again to this uh, wind-up watch show, all these different people from different sort of watch groups that have been having sort of events or, you know, sort of cocktail parties and stuff, a couple of people were kind of giving us a bit of shit about it because they're like, yeah, I was hosting this uh Bruget event we had all this fancy fancy and some guy walked in with this Fordite watch and you know people were running around taking pictures and going outside to take wristies with this guy's watch and nobody paid attention to brand that was paying for the dinner or whatever it was so we kind of without meaning to managed to kind of take a bit of a dump in their front yard a couple times. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of hijacked the event, but that's a little bit. What can you do? I mean, you didn't do that deliberately. If your watch is going to cause that kind of stir, then here's a bit of a warning shot fired across the bow of all other brands. Do better. It was deliberate as hell. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> Come, on. <laughs> Come on. No, it was it was really fun. And I think I I and Anders, Anders and I, we, we really like that way of working, of actually keeping the personal contact with stuff. And that's something that we discussed ad nauseum um, is expansion. And do we want to get to be a company that sells 5,000 watches a year and they all get pumped out of some factory, God knows where, you know, and we're all driving Lamborghinis or do you want to be broke and stressed, but making, making proper, cool, proper, cool stuff. And, uh, I think that's that's kind of a kind of a no brainer. You took the Lamborghini, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting in it right now. Yeah, <laughs> with my Hello no, Kitty no. band aids. <laughs> Honestly, though, I mean that that is a really great way of expressing exactly what Arcanaut's all about. I think, like I say, it will appeal to the kind of people that it's for. And that yeah. isn't always yeah. the case when it comes to a brand that's being built. Like it, <clears throat> it appeals to those people because it's genuine and because. It's very different. So when I first saw Arcanaut, 
I was a journalist. I was working for Fratello at the time, I guess, or I might have been freelancing around the place for all other. Never heard of them. Man, I know, yeah. They're nothing <laughs> without me. Um, <laughs> I was. Uh, hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Uh, I was. Uh, hi, Dave Sergeant from Fratello. We love you. Um, I was very taken aback by it because it was like nothing else okay the first thing it stands out about arcanaut is maybe the crown that is just a weird not quite rectangle what is it like a trapezoid i suppose but it's it's nothing like any crown you've ever seen before in your life you think how does it even work it's incredibly finely machined an absolute um tour de force of design and i thought what kind of mentalist has put pen to paper and come up with this i was like how has this person managed to ignore all of the other inspirations around them, be it a man or a woman, I had no idea at the time. How have they done that? Because I've been in the industry now for nearly 20 years and I've always wanted to have my own brand. And one of the things that's really delayed my progress in that regard is the fact that I find myself too heavily influenced by what has gone before. And I have it in mind to design the best watch ever, which is what everyone has... Uh, an idea to be a watchmaker starts out thinking, I'm going to design the best watch ever. I'm going to eliminate all of the flaws or as many of the flaws in previous designs as I can. And I'm going to get out there with something that is the perfect mix of everything that's already out, but better. And that means that as the industry changes and evolves around me, I often find myself behind the curve and chasing something. I find myself following. And this brand the Arcanaut case particularly is very much a leader in design. And I wanted to get to the bottom of the person behind this brand. Um, I mean, not literally. And Anders was busy today. So here's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, shut up. I wanted, I wanted to understand the person behind this brand. And when I met Anders, it all made sense because what I realized was this guy knew basically nothing yep. about the conventions of watchmaking, but he had this vision. Dumb as a rock. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but I meant like he had this beautiful naivety. Yes. When he had an idea, he figured out a way to make it come to life rather than listening to all of the noise that would have stopped me in my tracks or someone else like me in my tracks, because those voices always say, oh, you can't do it that way. It's never been done before. Anders didn't realize that he was blowing up conventions when he started designing the Arc 1. As a result, he came up with a case that was so complicated to machine, because when you look at this thing in real life, you'll notice that it's actually curved. It's very ergonomically designed. The whole case is curved. The case back is is arched so it sits on the wrist very comfortably and the top of the case falls down towards well we call them lugs i don't know are they lugs whatever they are they're semi lugs semi lugs okay the case falls down suitable for lug reduced diets suitable for lug reduced diets fantastic love it stick it in the press release (laughs) and i was looking at this case thinking who did you get to manufacture this because i know how much certain ambitious case designs cost to have made in switzerland oh sure and he didn't have it made in switzerland because the swiss didn't want to touch it they took one look at it and were like no sir please take this nonsense away from me he found someone in denmark that can make extremely low quantities and is able to manufacture the case to those ridiculously tight tolerances that are necessary to make that crown work and they're from Correct me if I'm wrong here, James, but I believe that they're from the hearing aid industry. They're from the hearing aid industry. And of course, now we're supposed to go, what? 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 Excuse my French, but what the fuck? It's insane. This is so cool. This was the purity of design. This is why I have so much fun working with Anders, because even, you know, there's a bunch of fairly heavy names that I can sort of drop here, but it's not like I'm the engineer that's figuring out how to make a friggin HMX work or something. You know, I'm usually just kind of like the chef that just sprinkles the salt off his arm, little kind of crap like that. This was really fun. So Denmark is like the world center of manufacturing hearing aids. So the amount of micro engineering and micro manufacturing is just ridiculous, spectacular stuff. And it's all being used in the hearing aid industry. And as soon as you can say to some of these people, like something that would terrify the average watch case manufacturer, 
you show it to someone that makes hearing aids, they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, no problem. It's like just completely non-phased by it. It's a bit like um, I worked with a brand out of southern France, a brand called MW and Co. And they're out of Toulouse, Toulouse, France. And Toulouse is where Airbus is from. So all the support network, you know, all the subcontractors that make all the little bits, everybody that works at this company, you know, sort of knows someone or has an uncle or a sister or whatever who's worked for Airbus. So the manufacturing capacity of this little tiny five or six person company is just ridiculous. And that's kind of the same sort of vibe with this, that because we're not fighting for space with much bigger, more established brands in Switzerland, um, we're not really in the pipeline with them. And when we first started, we just sort of thought that's because we were just a giant pack of losers that weren't going to go anywhere. And then all these world events start happening and suddenly manufacturing times and shipping times go through the roof. Whereas with us, fucking Anders gets on his bike and go picks up a pack of crowns from there and makes them <laughs> half an hour away or something. So through complete moronic accident, we've kind of forest gumped our way into this perfect vertical integration that we couldn't have planned if we tried, but just, and now because we've sort of gotten into that way of working, you know, we're trying to be all sort of piratey. I think it's how our friend Asher would say, that's what we're really pushing for. So now we've got hands. We found a way and a company for manufacturing hands, custom hands for the watches where we can, in theory, make a single set of hands. And get them back in a couple of days. Crazy. Everything. Everything. Without having to sort of order 500 at a time. And it takes six months because Hublot just put in an order with the same factory. And obviously they're ordering a lot more for a lot more money. So Johnny Loser kind of gets sent to the back of the back of the line kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've almost kind of taken a giant step to the left and removed ourselves from the Swiss watch industry. Because um, we're not Swiss. And we don't really feel the need to apologize for that. And it's just a different a different way of working. It's a different way of working. And like you say, nobody could really have planned it to fall into place as wonderfully as it has done. And this revolution was born of necessity, as you described. But the result is you are effectively able to create unlimited piece uniques on a relatively quick and reliable time frame which makes you incredibly dynamic as you look to grow the brand in a responsible and sustainable way. Because of course, as you mentioned, pumping out 5,000 pieces from some faceless factory in the middle of Asia and, you know, cashing in and selling out and getting the Lamborghini and whatnot is not what you want from this at all. If I was going to do that, I would have already done that. Yeah, by now. exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't have spent the last 15 years standing by myself in a drafty machine shop getting to second base with a disc sander or whatever it was I was doing today. Good grief. That was graphic. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, don't ask. So this way of working, it's almost the system that we've designed is, don't quote me on this, the system we've designed, I would say, is more important than the watches themselves. Hmm. Interesting. Because the system that we've designed is very scalable, is very sustainable. And by sustainable, I mean, it won't have Anders or I jumping out a window in the next few years. Uh, knock on wood. It's quite a lean and fierce way of working. We're so fucking adaptable and we can turn on a dime. We don't have giant budget marketing committees that we have to ask and we have to run everything by mid-level distribution managers. In the time it takes to drink two beers, which for Anders is about two minutes, we could have a whole new project on the go. And that's basically how the Fordite series came about by accident. I had done some Fordite dialed watches with George Bamford about 2018, 2019, uh, a small 10 piece limited series of Tag Heuer Carreras, and they were kick ass successful. And then about three years later, I, I kept wanting to get back into it. I just felt like there was more that could be done with that. And we had talked about the idea internally for a bit, but it just didn't feel like it was something that we could really do. And then finally, one of our guys at Arcanaut, Boo, who's our sort of legal legal mastermind, had just kind of quietly said, can you can you make me a four-die dial for my own personal watch? Because I just think it'd be cool to have. And I sort of said, yeah, no problem. I'll make three or four so you can have a couple to choose from. And then we'll just keep the other ones, you know, kind of in a desk drawer somewhere. 
And we looked at it and we put it in the watch and just, again, pure luck because the dial has so much dynamic color to it. I mean, it's like a Kandinsky painting in there. And because the case, as soon as you put a really noisy, crazy dial in there, the case is just like a perfect frame. Yeah. If the case, if the case would have been all wild and all sort of undulating, it would have been too much and it would have just looked like crap. But because the case, it's like a piece of Danish furniture. It's so clean. All those surfaces are so beautiful that you can make an apeshit crazy dial. And it doesn't look like you're just wearing some kind of crazy Halloween costume piece. It is a bizarre thing because I remember, I think it was last, I think it was last November, I came to visit you in Gothenburg and you were chewing over the possibility of having Fordite dials in the Arkonauts as a standard thing then. And I was absolutely adamant that you had to do it because as you just said, Bizarrely, that case, despite its uniqueness, and that is obviously an overused word in watchmaking, but perfectly applicable here, is a wonderful platform for the kind of craziness that you're known for. And it somehow, it doesn't tone down the dial as much as it just complements it in exactly the right way to allow both it, the case, and the dial to put their best foot forward. I think that that case is almost like an art gallery it's not just a frame for a picture it looks like it's a building it's the platform it's a and again after seven or eight negronis in in manhattan uh or maybe in brooklyn at that point anders and i started riffing on on exactly that that topic that like it's not even we don't even want to call it a watch case you know it's a containment unit and it's just containing insanity mm. You know, I mean, we actually have other, you know, subsequent follow-up watches that are all sort of in the pipeline and everything's being kicked around. But if we do the craziest of the crazy wild stuff, that case is just a perfect containment unit. But here's another weird angle, okay? You can actually take it in the other direction. And I know that I know that this will come. Yeah. You get the conservative dial that maybe allows the material of the dial itself to sh- shine through without being too shouty. And then the case would become the star again. It's like a perfect relay between the yeah. two components. And it's really weird because you would think this was a common phenomenon in watchmaking, but it isn't. This symbiosis is it's more of a partnership, actually. It's more like a dynamic partnership between components. And that's a special thing. For me, it makes me think of actually the, the very first watch I ever bought. And that actually what got me into the industry was the, the epic and mighty Bell & Ross BR01. You know, that, that thing, it just looks like you've got a DJ turntable yeah. on your wrist. And I got the stainless steel one with the black dial. And that, just the color contrast, the, the negative space, the quote-unquote empty space on that watch. It, you know, it's one of my, I wouldn't call it a grail watch because I have it, but like that just, as far as design goes, it's one of those things that I'm such a selfish prick that I look at that watch and I get so mad that I didn't design it. That it almost ruins my it almost ruins my ability to enjoy it. I could have why didn't I do that? I just love it. And I, I think it's it's the same thing that I like about this this Arcanaut phenomenon uh, between the dial and the watch, is that it just the contrast. And if the contrast is the empty negative space that gives it a little more room to flex in the dial, that's perfect. And that's almost more of an architectural way of looking at something where you actually are designing this space around the building and not just the physical windows and the doors and all that kind of stuff. Right. One of my pet peeves is, is people that reference architecture in watchmaking. I should mention that. So I hate myself a little bit right now, but there is, there is sense to it because looking at the object outside of itself, I think is, is quite an architectural concept. And of course, Scandinavian architecture has quite a unique vibe and quite a unique look to it compared to italian architecture i've got an idea this is pretty cool it's only just come to me oh god but you know how bremont recently built the wing yes i actually ran into giles at uh at the show oh cool how is he yeah he said you're an well asshole. he knows me well <laughs> what can i say it's fair <laughs> enough um Sorry, i've not ahead. been to the wing yet uh, i have been invited once or twice as much of an asshole as I am, but, uh, and I plan on going cause I would love to see it in real life. A fantastic concept looks like it's been superbly well executed, but how about one day in the future, instead of us buying Lamborghinis, we build the arc HQ 
or the Ark, I guess it would just be called. And it's the same shape as the case. And the doorway is just where the crown would be, but this kind of trapezoid opening in the side. And then the roof is like a massive domed crystal. So there's just light coming in, but it's actually, we build it. We build it in full building size. How about that? And I'll tell okay, okay. I can see that you're not convinced. I'm going to give you a little bit of a sweetener. All right. Firstly, I will include draft excluders on the doors so it's not drafty like your current workplace. And I will give you your own little corner, mm-hmm. little badger den in the corner with all of the machines you could possibly dream of having. And the building won't be echoey. How do you feel about that? Or I could stay in my current studio, which is currently aboard a decommissioned Typhoon class uh, nuclear submarine at the bottom of the ocean. Very cool. No one bothers me here. You know, the Wi Fi is great. <laughs> All right, fine. You stay there. I'm going to build the ark. I'm going to build the ark. I build it and people will come. I will build it and people will come. I would love it if our if our HQ was on one of those like abandoned offshore oil rigs. Like like the prison the prison from Face Off. Yes. Yes. There you go. Okay. So how do people get there? Do we fly them in with helicopters or the jet skis or motorboats or ribs or just yes, just all of that? Yes. All right. Okay. Helicopters, night vision goggles, FedEx might be an issue. <laughs> FedEx, yeah. That's right. Um, these are all good ways to attract an investor, too, I should mention. These are brilliant ideas. I think uh, this is sort of on topic because we're talking about abandoned oil rigs, but there's a lot of abandoned oil rigs out there in the ocean, and they're really cool structures. And they're not actually as bad for the environment once they've been decommissioned as you might think because loads of creatures can use the underwater structures to create new habitats like coral reefs the artificial coral exactly reef exactly yeah, yeah. so i think that we should try and we should look into this there must be a ton of disused oil rigs off the coast of denmark definitely seems like that kind of place let's get one let's buy one let's build a lair we'll build a secret lair okay i'm i'm in yes a secret lair well, not too secret we've just announced it on watchmaking's biggest podcast so yeah is it well, I'm hoping it will be by the time this episode airs, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know, Semper Fi. Yeah, getting awesome. <laughs> All right, okay, so <laughs> your plans with Arcanaut for the near future, at least, are to stick with the current case shape, right? But you do have a vision or an idea of where you could go in the future with new cases? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I think. I think at this point... It, it always sounds so self-serving, but for me, the case design is is very iconic for for us. I don't I don't think we want to be one of these brands that just completely reinvents themselves every half an hour, because what happens is that ends up giving you really quite a confused and muddled uh, brand language that people don't really know sort of which way you're coming from. But with this with this current sort of vibe of us. Um, this contained madness, we can say. Um, we're going to be having a lot of fun with the dials. The dials are most mo- most of what my area of responsibility is. And even just playing with different hands, having hand sizes. We actually, uh, for, for Nate's watch, he actually got the first set of these much more oversized, oversized but skeletonized hands. Um, because the dial is so crazy and busy in his. So it actually really, really, really looks nice having these much fatter hands. Um, to, what was the joke we were making? That the hands were so big, we had to start calling them paws. <laughs> <laughs> Watch paws. And then, Ander, and then Anders is like, yeah, they're grand paws. We're like, oh, it's the grandpa watch. This is great. It's just got big sort of like gr- gr- grizzly bear paws on it. Yeah, I'd love to know how many of the gronies had you, you'd drunk by that point. Your guess is as good as mine. Well, well, I'll tell you what, business must be good in the uh, Arcanaut if you're able to blindly buy endless rounds of Negronis in Brooklyn or Manhattan, wherever you were at that time, because I'll tell you what, that's not a cheap place to drink. Uh, no. Well, you know what, man? I live in Sweden, and actually it was cheaper there. Like, downtown Manhattan was was cheaper buying a beer than here in Gothenburg. Oh, geez. Because of the taxes, yeah. <laughs> well, let's all go to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, I went to I went to New York because it was a 
<laughs> Welcome to Sweden. That's, that'd be a good advertising campaign for the country. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. Move to Sweden and everything 65% else. 65% tax rate. Oh, that's disgraceful. <laughs> yeah, it is. I used to I used to really outwardly bitch about about the taxes and stuff here until uh, until we had our first kid. And then it's like, oh, okay, I get it. My wife got, I think it was 480 days maternity Good leave. Good grief. Paid. Ridiculous. Wow. You know, I mean, my my design education here. Amazing. I mean, I'd have a kid for that many days off if I could. I can't, obviously. You could borrow one of mine. I'll take the wife to Paris for the week. What, what am I going to do with the other one? You've got two kids. <laughs> oh, I, damn. Yeah, I oh, look yeah, after yeah, them. Yeah. They, they look like a barrel of laughs. Oh shit! I have to go. I have to go pick. <laughs> oh god, you do. <laughs> Let's get divorced. It's almost pickup time for the kids. Uh, are they are they dressed up as Spider Man today? Yeah, yeah. It's a Halloween day at school. Uh, actually, uh, my daughter's class is having it next week, but my son Alfred's his was today. Uh huh. So he woke me up at five. Woke me up at five fifteen this morning. Just jumps out of bed. He's like, Dad. Get my Spider-Man. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I think you've, that's a sign you've done a good job as a parent, though. Jumping on and off the house, doing little... Very pew, cool, pew. very cool. Does he have, like, uh, organic web shooters, or has he built his own? Like, uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man built his own, did he? I don't know. Oh, good reference. Uh, no, but he, he specifically makes a point of saying, I'm, I'm the Spider-Man from the Avengers. I'm the Tom Arnold. Or the Tom Arnold, Jesus Christ. That's the guy from Roseanne. Tom Holland, yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tom Holland Spider-Man. And uh, is Rosie any particular Spider-Man, or is she just Rosie Spider? Spider-Rosie? She just says, I'm Rosie. Okay, yeah. Hi, Tom Holland, I'm Rosie. She's three. Hi, Tom Holland, I'm Rosie. <laughs> she's, she's got a good character. I like that one. <laughs> she puts on his uh, Incredible Hulk like suit. One of these sort of you know cloth padded suits, all the muscles oh, yeah. on her. And she just looks like one of these tiny little like American uh, Olympic gymnast gold medalist because she's, you know, she's three, but it gives her shoulders that are about a meter wide. And she looks like she's just ready to whip ass. <laughs> I didn't realize how small those American gymnasts were until I was reading an article yesterday about Simone Biles. She's four foot eight inches tall. Yeah. Four foot and eight. She will rip your arm out. Oh, God, I wouldn't <laughs> mess with her at all. I'm sure she could round us, kick me into oblivion, but that's a good way to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You could do worse. You could do worse. I could do worse. Yeah, honestly. I, I've nearly died a few times and none of them would compare to being kicked in the face by Simone Biles. Anyway, on that slightly odd uh, reference, I better let you go pick up your kids from school. Good tangent. Thank you. Good tangent. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, pro podcaster. Thanks for joining The Real Time Show. If any of our listeners have got questions for James that you'd like me to put to him over a barrel of Negronis, then please get in touch via Instagram. You can either contact me at Rob Nudds, that's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or my co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph, at Alan Ben-Joseph, that's A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H, or you can email either of us directly at rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We will see you next time. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. That was a lot of information. It's a lot of information, yeah. I'm a very detailed man. <laughs>